Good afternoon. This is Ricky Jones, and this is from Sunday to Monday, the River Oaks Presbyterian Church podcast, where we try to make the theology and the biblical teaching from Sunday mornings as practical as possible. And I'm here once again with Jonathan Dorst. Hello. And today we're going to talk about what, Jonathan? We're going to talk about church planting. Church planting. Something near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, That's my favorite topic. We can talk about that all day long. Great. Great. Well, that's kind of a technical term. Church okay, planting. yeah, what does it mean? What? That's my question. What is church planting? Church planting is when a denomination or a group of people start a new church. And uh, it's important that the, the church planter be called, be sent out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he needs to be sent out from somebody. And I, I start there just because a lot of people have the idea that God's called them to plant a church. And they may or may not be correct in that. And some of the most miserable people I know in the world are people who think the Lord has called them to plant a church, but He has not. And uh, and so it's important to have a body that agrees with you, who lays hands on you and sends you out to do it. Uh, and that's modeled from uh, the book of Acts, where Paul was sent out to plant churches, and they, they laid hands on him. And uh, then Paul laid hands on Timothy, and he commanded Timothy to lay hands on elders. Not even the apostle Paul was sent out by himself, and uh, and that's that's an important lesson for us to learn. So, and and then the person will go into a community the way you went into Stillwater sometimes with no contacts, or the way I came into Tulsa mm-hmm. ten years ago with a few contacts, and uh, begin to gather people and to preach the gospel and to evangelize and to ultimately uh, start a Bible study that leads to a church and uh, begins to have worship and function as a church. So that's my definition off the top of my head. What would you add to that? Yeah, and I would say um, building off of missiologists and church planting experts like Tim Keller and say church planting is the New Testament um, method for evangelism. Yeah that the apostles, as they went spreading the gospel, they didn't just convert people and then leave them. They raised up elders and pastors, and they formed worshiping communities. And that was their method of how the, the gospel spread, was to plant churches everywhere they went. And that is still how God is working and blessing today. That's so important. I think to see to reach someone and not have a church family for them where they were going to hear the gospel week in and week out and be loved and be trained and, and have wisdom from older people and have a place where they can plug in and do ministry, it's, it's almost like uh, cloning a, a piece of human flesh and then not attaching it to a body. Yeah. You just can't expect a, a finger in a Petri dish to, to survive. It has to be sewn mm-hmm. onto a body where it's going to get continual nourishment. Um, and, and that's why you know, Jesus sent out his disciples to plant churches, you know, to baptize and to teach and to train. And uh, it's, uh, I just can't, can't state that enough. Um, you know, I, I think... One of the biggest things that we've seen really over the last 40 years is evangelical kind of disdain for the church. Uh, And not necessarily an active hostility, but an apathy. Mm -hmm. And when you read the Bible, that is simply not 
that's not in the Bible. The Bible, I mean, Jesus loves the church. The, uh, the apostles loved the church. They were constantly talking about uh, the beauty of the church and the value of the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. Those are the highest, most complimentary terms you can possibly possibly mention. And to, uh, to in any way imply that the church is not important or the most valuable thing in a person's life is is really uh, insulting to the bride of Christ. Yeah. So, Jesus loves his bride. Mm. If you're a Jesus follower, you should love his bride too. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the silly illustrations I use is, um, you know, if you were to say you love me but hate my body, I'm going to take that pretty personally, you know. <laughs> if you'll, uh, you know, someone comes up to me and starts punching on my body and saying, oh, I love you, Ricky, but I, just, I, just, I hate this body. I despise the body. You mind if I insult your body all the time? I begin to take that personally pretty quick, you know. Or if you say you love me but you hate my wife. Yeah. That doesn't go over well. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody's ever said that to me. I'm pretty sure they've probably said that to my wife, but that's another issue for another day. So. Really hypothetical. <laughs> Very good. Well, you and I have both been a part of planting churches in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and the obvious question, I'm sure you've heard it, I know I've heard it, is why does a church place like Oklahoma, that's a church city like Tulsa, mm-hmm. need new churches? Well, that's a very common question, uh, and it's it's a question that, well, there's a lot of answers to it. First of all, there's no such thing as an overchurched place. On any given Sunday, no more than 30% of people in Tulsa are in church. Maybe on Easter, we're up to 40 or 45%. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think anybody who lives in a neighborhood is going to see that when, you, when you're driving out of your neighborhood going to church. Every other car in the neighborhood is not doing the same thing. Right. It's pretty quick to see that. Uh, secondly, new churches have a vibrancy, a presence of the Holy Spirit. One of the, one of the very sad things that happens, uh, oftentimes, not, not inevitably, but oftentimes uh, churches and, and even complete denominations will begin to lose the gospel. And um, we need new churches that are filled with the life of the gospel, that are not, that are not uh, taken up with, with political issues or agendas or uh, simply tradition for tradition's sake, but that are that love Christ and are motivated by that love to want to tell others about Him and to serve Him. Uh, one of the beautiful things about a church plant is it's just raw. Yeah. And you know, there's nobody who is, comes to a church plant because you have the best music in town, or you have the best nursery in town, or the best. Children, you, you come to the you come to a church plant because the Holy Spirit is there, and that's it. You know, and uh, there's something fun and beautiful about that that I think is very valuable. Uh, there are many other answers. What do you, what are some of the responses you give? I think another one you've talked about is it gives gives young men mm-hmm. and women an opportunity to lead. Yeah, it, quicker and. Uh, than they probably would in, in really established churches where oftentimes leadership has been the same for decades and mm-hmm. it's, it's hard, harder to get into leadership. So it really releases a lot of um, 
ministry energy to have a to have a new church that needs leaders and needs leaders learning new ministry muscles quickly. Yeah. Um, Tim Keller likes to talk about the idea that new churches are the R and D department for the <laughs> city. They're the research and development of of how to reach a culture. And um, yeah, there's just something about that that necessity of vibrancy. I mean, when you're mm-hmm. when you're a new church, it's all hands on deck. There's this attitude of, if we don't grow, we're going to die. There's an attitude of, uh, they need me. Like, this church needs me. And that, that does give vibrancy in life to a, to a body. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes it fun. And it, you find out quickly how to preach to a community. You, know, you, just, you find out quickly what works and what doesn't. You know, when you're a church plant, you don't keep doing something just because you've been doing it for years. And if something's not working, you ditch it pretty quickly because if you don't grow, um, your bills aren't going to get paid. And I don't know what it is about that. I don't want to sound too practical, but there is something beautiful about that. There it, is. It keeps you at work. Yeah. I think uh, new churches are also often more willing to take risks hmm. and uh, and to try to reach, I don't know what you call it, the counterculture, the people hmm. who are very far from the church. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of times established churches... They're not as willing to get out of their comfort zone. Maybe they don't have the time, or they they've got a lot more to lose yeah. um, by by spending a lot of time with people who are far away from church. And 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 often God uses new churches to reach hard to reach people. Well, it changes your question. You know, I, I, this is something I've just realized. Our church, as you know, the Lord's blessed it. We've grown quite a bit, and even in my mind now, as I stand up to preach. When I was a church planter, the question I asked when I was writing a sermon was, is this going to reach the non-believer? Mm-hmm. I think now the over, it's an overwhelming and, and sneaky temptation. I didn't see it coming. But an equal question I ask is, is this going to offend anybody I already have? Yeah. There's a, the fear of running somebody off or offending someone becomes almost as strong, if not stronger, than the desire to reach the unchurched. And um, and that's too bad. That's a real, that's a tragedy, I think. It's good to acknowledge it. Yeah, that's all I know to do is acknowledge it. Um, I ran into that a lot yesterday. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, as you get older, as your church gets established and you have property, uh, your bills get higher and, and the fear gets greater. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a different kind of fear. It's not a fear that energizes. It's a fear that stifles. I think another thing that we, when when you talk about this question of does the city have too many churches, and and sometimes I I think people view a new church as like a a critique of all the other churches. Mm. and, And actually, I... And that can be true. I actually knew a couple of guys in Stillwater who basically were starting churches because they didn't feel like any of the other churches were any good or any of the other churches would give them a platform. Yeah. Because they just started their own thing. They want their own platform. Maybe there's a reason why nobody gives you a platform. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, don't th- I don't think that's always necessarily true. What, you know, right. we, we start churches not because there aren't any good churches in town, but because we want to link arms with the churches that are preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and, and can come right alongside them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the one of the things I'm passionate about uh, to say is 
a church, a city is, is much more likely to be transformed and is going to be much more blessed by 10 churches with 300 people than by one church with 3,000. Yes. That allows you to have different voices, different types of voices. You don't all have to be alike. You know, River Oaks has been blessed to plant uh, three daughter churches now, and they're, they're all three extremely different. One preaches in Spanish. One preaches with loud rock and roll and uh, music that makes me want to grab for earplugs. And one uh, is, is uh, more liturgical by far than we are. And, and I love all three of those churches. They're, they're completely different, but we are good friends. And that's allowing us to, to as, as you've already said, find completely new leaders in all those churches and to reach those cultures well. And uh, it does. It, it it's not a critique. It's a locking of arms. It's a teamwork, and it's a real blessing. God God blesses churches to plant churches. So. Yeah. Well, you touched on this, Ricky, but um, I wrote down this question. Is, is every pastor qualified to be a church planter? Because I remember when I was training to be a church planter, I had a guy pull me aside and say, What are you doing? We already ordained you. Mm. So you're ordained, you're, you could be a church planner. Like, there's no difference in his mind. Mm-hmm. How would you respond to that? Oh, I would definitely say not every pastor is, is trained to be a church planner. Just like I would, I would say that not every pastor is gifted to uh, pastor a church of, of 75 where they're going to expect you to be very intimate and relational. And not every pastor has the gifts to pastor a church of 7,000 where they're going to expect you to be very polished and clear. Not every pastor is called to be a missionary in yeah. some other country. There, there are specific gifts that you have to have to be a church planner. You have to be energetic. You have to be a self-starter. You have to be. Uh, you're going to have nobody who knows what you're doing day in and day out. And if you don't have a, a an internal compass uh, that is strong and that will drive you out of bed and get you up to to make this thing work. Um, then, then you're going to get discouraged. You, you've got to have a, a what what God says He gave to Ezekiel a forehead of flint that's not easily discouraged because Satan hates church plants and because people are broken and because this world is broken. Um, we uh, church planting is hard. It's very very hard. And uh, those are just a few of the uh, you know personality things you have to have. An, I would almost say a charismatic personality, a sense of uh, able to attract a group. That you know, there's there's certain kinds of people who work better behind the scenes, people who come alongside. Uh, those those men make great pastors, great shepherds, but they're not necessarily church planters because there's nobody to come alongside of. You have to you have to gather. Um, what are some other other gifts that you can think of that church planters have to have? I think I think a gift of evangelism mm-hmm. and of relating to people. Um, there are some pastors who make great preachers because they're able to shut their door for thirty hours and <laughs> write a great sermon, um, but they're not necessarily great with people. And you certainly need to be able to preach yeah. <laughs> to be a church planter. But I think you have to be able to relate to people. And, and talk to them where they're living and mm-hmm. talk about Jesus uh, regularly yeah. with people. If, if you want to reach non-Christians, if you want to reach more than just uh, other, other sheep from other churches, which I would say 
you need you need to be trying sure to reach well you have to have a, a high degree of emotional intelligence uh, I think that's one of the reasons why men who come straight out of seminary and sometimes even men who have done other jobs has been you know assistant pastors um, or even campus ministers haven't done real well as church planters because they're unable to distinguish between their ideals of what a church looks like and the muck and, and mud of, of life in a broken world. Mm-hmm. And nothing in this world is going to be ideal. And so if you're not able to marry those two things together, the theology, the truth, the depth, and the beauty of Christianity, and the ugliness and the mud of, of life in this world, and come out with something that's flexible and, and beautiful, but it's still very real. Uh, if you're not able to have one kind of one foot in both arenas, if you will, then I don't think you're, you're really ready to plant a church. Um, and so I kind of, I guess what I'm trying to distinguish is between emotional intelligence, the, the ability to, to see the person in front of you as a person versus kind of idealism of, well, this is the way it ought to be. You know, I learned, you know, when I, for those of you who are not familiar with that phrase, emotional intelligence is just the ability to, to realize that the people in front of you have a story and to tailor make your relationships, your confrontations with these people based on who they are and where they are. Um, for, my, my wife learned a great lesson in emotional intelligence years ago. She taught, she taught me much from it because she was in another city we lived in. She used to get embroidery done. And this embroidery shop that she was going to was, was closed at weird hours. She had some things she needed to get out of the shop that she had dropped off, and it was never open when it was supposed to. And she was just getting furious at this irresponsible, lazy person who ran this embroidery shop. And she finally showed up when it was open, and uh, she, she came to the counter, and she was just mad. And, and the lady behind the counter just opened up and said, I'm so sorry that I've been closed. My husband died of cancer last week, and it's been a just terrible month. And, you know, at that point, she realized, wow, everybody's got a story. Like, this person exists when I'm not in front of them. Mm-hmm. And a church planner has to have a heavy understanding of that, that this is not a book. People are not books. They're not characters. They're humans. They have a story. Uh, they have a backstory. Some have been terribly hurt by the church. Others have had great experiences in the church. Some people have been hurt by their families. Others have been blessed by their families. There's just all kinds of things going on. These people don't wake up in the morning thinking about the church the way you do. And if you can't love them and bless them and, and meet them where they are and still give them a compelling reason to want to be a part of this church, then... Uh, then you're probably better served to serve the, the body of Christ in a different place. Yeah. That's really good. So we've, we've probably both heard of men who, um, maybe in different traditions, who call themselves church planters and go on to plant 5, 10, 15 different churches, sort of career church planters. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? Is that... Is that a lifelong gift? Is is it better for a church planter to transition to being a pastor of the uh, of the church that he's planted and stay a long time? I hesitate to say 
to make kind of abstract declarations on that. I like to talk about specific people. And so if there was a specific mm-hmm. person in front of me, I would, would want to hear his story and help him determine what his gift is. Um, obviously, the Apostle Paul planned a lot of churches. Uh, and so I'm not going to argue with his calling. I don't think there are many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also depends on, on what you're doing. Um, as far as what I mean by that is this. Uh, when I planted this church, I came to a culture that was very much like me. Um, a lot of first-generation college graduates, uh, white, middle-class, people who shop at Target and eat at Chili's and like that life. And I planted this church with the intention that I would stay here as long as my career holds out. Right. And so I came not to plant a church and leave, but to plant a church and stay. And, and that's required a ton of transition. Being a pastor of uh, an established church is a very different job than being a church planter. And, and my congregation has been very patient with me as I have learned yeah. what that means. Other people, especially people who are doing cross-cultural work, I think it's very wise for them to move themselves out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one missionary who ended up being my teacher at, in seminary was a church planter uh, both in China and Brazil. His name was Paul Long, and he planted, um, I think, 15 churches in Br- Brazil over a 20-year career. Mm-hmm. And you know, his intention was always to move to town, to get a group started, to get a building in place. Uh, and to get a pastor, a pastor from their culture who would know them and who could pastor them, and then he would go to the next city. And I think that's very wise, you know, to to not take on the place of the outsider expert, but to find an insider who knows these people and who can speak to them in their language and apply the gospel in their culture. And so that's two very different callings, two different, very different settings. Um, and so, I, I, like I said, I hesitate to say one is right. I don't think it's correct to say one is right or one is wrong. It's very tempting in our culture, in the church culture today, to moralize what you do. <laughs> you know, just like it's tempting to moralize church size and say churches should be 100 to 150 or every church should only be such and such size. And if you're not doing it the way they do it, you're wrong. Yeah, or my pastor was at his church for 30 years and he was fruitful. So every pastor should. So every pastor should do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think. I do think the tendency in America in general is to move too often. I think there should be a tendency. I think we would be healthier as human beings if we would put down deeper roots and learn to deal with each other's warts and all. And, uh, and my desire, my, my goal for this church is to be here long enough to uh, baptize a baby to see that baby grow to profess Christ and to see that baby grow to uh, marriage and get to do uh, their wedding. When I get to do a wedding of a baby that I baptized, then I'll feel free to go to the next thing. Well, Ricky, what would you tell someone who is considering joining up with a a church plant, kind of brand new? uh, what, What kind of advice would you give someone wanting to join in? That you, well, first of all, I'd say you're doing the right thing. That's exciting. Be ready to really enjoy church more than you have in a long time. Um, get ready to, to take a, see, a feeling of ownership that you haven't had in a long time. Uh, know that you're going to be important. Know that your power to encourage or discourage your church planter is much bigger than it was in your established church. Yes, yeah, very true. Um, and, and just be aware that you have that power. Um, 
you know, a little bit of, of disharmony goes a, lo a long way in a small new body. Uh, so you want to be very gracious and humble and kind. And, uh, and, and with those two things in mind, I would say just get in. Just realize that you're here to help. Come, come with an attitude to help, not an attitude to be entertained or served. And, um, and, and that, that's, those are my, my advice. My other piece of advice is to distinguish. I feel the need to distinguish between a church plant and a satellite. Uh, one okay, of the big things in our that. culture is uh, satellite churches, and some people refer to them as church plants. The difference with a satellite church is they're, they're almost like a church in a box. They have everything they need. They've got uh, the polished ministries. They've got the polished services. And you can show up at a quote-unquote new satellite church, probably where the pastor is being videotaped and, and uh, stream, live-streamed in, and kind of expect that church to have all of its uh, dots in a row, to have everything together. And uh, and you can be, frankly, a passive member of, of a church like that. Uh, if you're going to a church plant where uh, you have a pastor showing up, setting up chairs, putting things out, um, picking up chairs, you know, three or four people who are kind of doing everything, when you go to one of those, a, a true church plant, you have to go with the intention of, I'm here to help. Yeah. Uh, you know, my shoulder is, is going under the harness as well. I'm going to help carry this burden. So that, that's my advice. I know you had some great advice. for some. You were an important advisor to a lot of our core group members. What did you tell them and what was uh, your advice to them? Yeah, so I, I met with some of the core group members before before they had even ever met you. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing I told them was don't don't crystallize anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just meet to get to know each other, to build some interest, but allow you're, you're going to want to hire a church planter and allow him to come in and with a philosophy of ministry that he will have already uh, – come up with a lot of this philosophy of ministry and been taught it, but also he will hopefully adapt it to who you are, um, but allow him to come in and lead. If you mm. already set up the church exactly how you want it, um, he's going to be frustrated and you're going to be frustrated. And I, but, and I think that's just good advice for anyone wanting mm -hmm. to go to a new church. Don't, don't think this is going to be the church that you've always wanted. Mm. You're, you're you private utopia. Mm. It's going to be messy, and uh, and you you need to sign up to to follow the lead of the leader and the leaders yeah. who, who are in position. Yeah, I think that that message of patience is extremely important. I remember very well that 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 story being demonstrated and acted out, and uh, a relationship I had with one of our core group members, and he was frustrated with me from the very get go. And I remember a conversation we had very early on uh, when he he told me, you know, I, th I expected you to come like a consultant and kind of have answers and get us organized and ready to go in a matter of weeks. And and I didn't. And uh, and that was because I, I needed time to a real a, a good, healthy church is this collision between a person, the church planter, the gospel and a particular community. And I, I had an idea of who I was, but I didn't know who I was in South Tulsa. 
And I certainly didn't know who South Tolson's were and what kind of church South Tolson needed. And, uh, and I knew the gospel, but my knowledge of the gospel was growing every day. And so I needed time to develop that. And, and frankly, the vision I have for this church is not what we are today. I think what we are today is more beautiful than the vision I had. But I, I needed time. And over time, he, this particular uh, person became a critic. And then he became uh, a great supporter and uh, met with me uh, a year, a year and a half into this as we you know, got enough people and it became clear that we were going to thrive as a church. He came to me and he apologized. He said, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I did not give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I, I so appreciated that conversation. And so I would say, if you're going to be part of a church plant, if, once you make that decision, go with the intention of staying for a year and a half, no matter how good or bad it is, and go with the, the gift of grace. Go intending on giving your church planter the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, last question. All this right. is for any church planters or potential church planters still listening. Mm. What is the first hire that the church mm. planter wants should make? Well, I wasn't expecting that question. Um, church planters are always in a bit of a, a clinch at a donut hole because what the problem you're going to have over and over again is you're going to need help before you can afford help. Yes. And so in order to get to the next stage, you need help, but you can't afford that help until you're already at the next stage. And you're going to find that to be the case until your church gets up to around two to 300 members. Actually, the hardest time to come is between around that 150 to 200 member mark when you really need a full-time associate pastor and you can't afford uh, him yet. So... Um, you know, I think the first hire is going to depend on who you are and your place. I don't want to dodge the question, but if you have zero administration skills, then you're going to need to hire an administrator extremely soon. If you're pretty good at administrating, but you're not great at uh, you know reaching youth and you're in an area where you have a lot of youth, you may need a youth minister. If you're, you're extremely weak in uh, music, and your church has grown beyond the 40 to 50 person mark. I, I, I'm a huge proponent of paying your musician, mm-hmm. your lead musician, because if you, have, if you pay your lead mu- musician, you can fire her or him, and you can kind of tell them what you, you, you need from them and, and exact more from them. If you're using volunteer musicians, then what can you say? You know, they're giving you their time. You can't really get mad at them and say, no, you have to be better. I don't, I don't think that's fair. Um, so, ah, man, it's tough. You need a lot. Um, is that a trick question? Do you have an answer? Oh, What's I got your a answer? Great answer? All right. The first person you hire is someone who can do youth ministry, children's ministry, admin, and and music. music. Uh, that's all you equally, need. Equally well, and and we'll do it for cheap. And we'll do it for ten dollars a week. Single and there loves you go. to be doing ministry yeah. all the time. That's perfect to hire. But that person probably doesn't exist. So. Yeah. Actually, I would say the first person you should hire is a good coach. Yeah. Uh, one of the best investments a church planner can make uh, is to hire somebody to, uh, to, have, to coach him, help him uh, set up goals and figure out strategies by which you're going to reach those goals and hold you accountable to doing those strategies and playing them out and helping you talk you off the ledge and, and get, keeping you patient and uh, keeping you encouraged so that you don't feel alone. 
uh, the three people a church planner has to have in his life are uh, a mentor or a, a counselor, or someone older who can uh, look into your life and speak words of encouragement. You need friends and you need a coach. And uh, those are three different things. Do not confuse the three. And uh, and you need a lot of friends. If you don't have, you can survive without a mentor and you can survive without a coach, but you will not survive or thrive without friends. So. Amen. That's a good stopping point. All right. Well, thanks, Jonathan. And uh, thank you all for listening. This has been From Sunday to Monday, and we appreciate your listening. If you want to know more about our ministry, please look on the website. That's www.riveroakstulsa.com. Also, there's a great book that's been out on Amazon now for a week, and it's called uh, called Too Good to Be True, and it's written by yours truly. Uh, I hope you would enjoy it. And uh, it's the best I could do. Uh, Thanks so much. Have a great day.